Will you please turn with me in your Bibles to the letter of Galatians and chapter 3. The letter of Galatians and chapter 3. Today we'll be in verses 10 through 14. It is also reprinted on the back of your bulletin if you need that. Uh, Today, uh, one song may be in the back of your minds as we're going through the sermon. And it's a song of the famous hymn, The Old Rugged Cross. Many of you know it. The song begins like this. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. This morning in our text, we're going to see what happened on that old rugged cross. Will you go with me in prayer and will you take a moment and ask our Heavenly Father to speak to you in our time together, that you might hear from Him and that your heart may leap in joy at His words. Go to Him in prayer now. Oh, Lord, speak, for your servants are listening. Your children are gathered for worship. And we want to hear from you. You have spoken to us already today as we awoke from our sleep or as we got out of bed from our restless night. You speak through the prayers, you speak through the worship songs, you speak through hearing of what your missionaries are doing and what you're doing to build your kingdom all over the earth. You speak as your church gathers in fellowship. And Lord, you speak as your word is open and proclaimed. So Lord, we're anticipating hearing from you. Do for each of our hearts what we desperately need you to do, and which only you can do, but which you promise to do. And so help us receive with joy your words this morning from your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. We're working our way through Galatians 3, and our sermon series is called Sola Fide, The classic Christian phrase, going back to the time of the Protestant Reformation, which means faith alone. How are we made right with God? We're made right with God by faith alone. Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. Let's hear now from God's glorious word. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, 
the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. We've sung of our redemption this morning. Verse 13 points to the main point of our passage. We sinners have a Redeemer. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And we sang that, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child, and forever I am. Redemption is a key theme in Christianity. What is Christianity all about? It's about redemption. The way that we're redeemed is by Jesus doing what was needed so that we could be redeemed. And what he had to do, we'll see this morning, was become a curse for us. So the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3, 10 through 14 is going to lay out a plan of redemption. What is going on in redemption? What was necessary for redemption? We're going to have four points this morning, and each of the four points has two parts. Two parts. So first, we're going to see there's two problems. When it comes to redemption, there's two problems. Well, then, there's two problems, but second, there's two solutions. Amen. After the two solutions, there's two gifts that are ours by faith. And after that, there's two results in our hearts as we receive salvation by faith. Two problems, two solutions, two gifts, and then two results. All in our passage this morning. Let's look first at the two problems. Because if there's good news, we need to start with the bad news. Verse 10, we'll see our two problems. For all who rely on works of the law, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So Paul's argument, the Apostle Paul who wrote to this young, growing church in Galatia, the Galatian region, he's got people coming against him, giving them a false gospel. Paul's argument in our text this morning is this. If you rely on the law to be made right with God. If you rely on the law and law-keeping to be justified in God's presence, if you're relying on that, then you're under a curse. If your understanding of how you're right with God is law-following, your obedience, then you're cursed. That's his point. Not because the law was bad or because the law was cursed, but rather because you and I are sinners. And we have failed to follow every part of the law. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the two problems are, first, all have sinned. All have sinned. And second, because we've all sinned, we're all under the curse of the law. Every one of us is a lawbreaker. Look at the middle of verse 10 again. Cursed be everyone who does not abide... 
by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So Paul's quoting Deuteronomy 27, 26. And he is saying, if you don't do it all, if you haven't perfectly fulfilled the law, then you are under the curse of the law, not the blessings of the law. Let me try and illustrate this. Uh, let's say we had a luncheon after church in a few weeks, and we had a bunch of tables over there, and everybody's favorite table, including mine, is the dessert table. And let's say we had a little section on the dessert table, and it said sugar-free desserts. Okay, if you baked a dessert, that's great. If you put it on that table and you used a cup of sugar, don't put that thing anywhere near the sugar-free section, right? You're going to harm someone who thinks those are sugar-free. If you say sugar-free, you better be sugar-free or someone's life might be at risk. Well, if you want to be perfectly in line with a holy God, if you want to say, I'm right with God because I follow the law, you need to be sin-free. You can't come into the presence of a holy God if you've got a cup of sins in your life. And the problem is we don't just have a cup of sins in our lives. We've sinned since conception. We've been sinners our whole lives. We've lied. We've stolen. We've been jealous and envious. We've put ourselves first instead of putting others first. So Paul says, if you're trying to be right with God by the law, you are under a curse because you're a sinner. That's that first problem. All have sinned. James 2.10 confirms this. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. If you've broken one law, your status is lawbreaker. If you've sinned once, your status is sinner. So Paul, again, look at verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. That's the key word. If you underline, underline, rely. Rely is the key word. What are you relying on to be right with God? What are you relying on to say that you will stand before a holy God on the last day and you will be with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth? What are you relying on? Paul says if you rely on your own track record, your own good works, you're cursed. But the good news is if you rely on Christ, you're not under the curse. Now you're blessed. If you're relying on your own works, you're cursed. If you're relying on Christ, you're blessed. And that's really good news, isn't it? Isn't that really good news? But it's good news only because there's bad news. Paul's two problems are the bad news of the gospel. If you want to go out into the world and give them the good news, you have to understand the bad news. Two parts of the bad news. We all have sinned and we're all under the curse. So the good news is good news because the bad news is really bad news. And let's be honest about it. We all love the idea of going to share the good news. If you want to go into the world and tell them about Jesus, you've got to get comfortable telling people there's bad news. You just got to be comfortable with it. Because the good news is only really good news because the bad news is really bad news. All have sinned, and so all are under the curse. But there's good news. Faith in Jesus is what justifies someone. Again, verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So our two problems that we've seen are, 
All have sinned and all are under the curse. And Paul keeps reminding these Christians in Galatia that faith in Jesus Christ was what got Abraham right with God, saved by faith, made righteous. It was credited to him as righteousness. And that same faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ is what makes us right with God. Two problems, all have sinned and all are cursed. Now we get to the two solutions, the two solutions. Look at verse 13 again, our theme this morning. Christ redeemed us. Okay, stop there. What's the job of a redeemer? To redeem is to save someone from their situation, to pay their price, to purchase them from slavery, which was the most common usage of that term in Paul's day. When he says, you've been redeemed by Christ, everyone would have pictured a slave market where someone would be purchased back out of their slavery to be adopted into a family to be made whole and loved as a child or a brother or a sister. Redeemed is freedom from slavery. That's what he means when he says that. So if the two problems are all have sinned and all are under the curse, then we need a redeemer to solve those two issues. So let's look at verse 13 again. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. All right, that quote is echoing the language in Deuteronomy 21. If you don't know what's there, in Deuteronomy 21, there are the laws for the death penalty. And sometimes they would take someone who committed a death penalty offense and they would hang them on a tree, a literal tree, to show the people this man had committed the worst of crimes, a crime punishable by death. Everyone look, put him up on a tree, everyone look at what this person has done. The goal of it was to make an example and to publicly shame the criminal and to publicly shame the crime. The capital sins were things that absolutely destroyed families, absolutely tore apart communities, took innocent life, all of those kinds of things. And so when you're hung on a tree, it was done to shame the criminal and the sins that were committed. But they weren't allowed to keep them on the tree overnight because that shaming was such a stain on the community, that reminder that in Jewish law, you had to take the body down from the tree before it stayed on overnight. Because it was too shameful to have that reminder out even for 24 hours. And so the Apostle Peter, when he's reminding the Jewish uh, believer, the Jewish followers uh, of him and listening to his announcement of the gospel, Peter says this in Acts chapter 5, verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, and do you remember what he says? Whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And so Peter knows that if you've got wood, like a cross, and it's on a hill, that functions like a tree. I mean, it's made from a tree. It's wood. And so that shameful death that Jesus died on the cross, Peter says that effectively was a public shaming of Jesus on the cross for our sins. He was hung on a tree. He was publicly shamed and cursed for us. Which is why that song, The Old Rugged Cross, is so potent. I think we have a slide that has the lyrics to it. You can try and sing along if you want. 
On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. And then the refrain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. The cross is the emblem of suffering and public shaming. He gets that and we get a crown. Amen? That's what happened on the cross. So that solves one of the two problems. Everyone has sinned and everyone is under the curse of the law. As Redeemer, Jesus became a curse for us. And yes, as a sacrifice, he paid for our sins. But that really only gets us halfway home. He paid for our sins. He became a curse for us, but we're still sinners. We've contributed sins to the equation. We have no righteousness of our own. I think about if a criminal, let's say you stole $1,000 from a bank. Let's say you stole $1,000 from a bank. Okay, well now you're a thief. And let's say someone comes along and pays the bank back the $1,000. Well, that pays for your crime in a sense, but that only gets you to neutral. That pays for your, 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 your sins. But if you apply to be a bank teller the next week, you're not getting the job, right? You're not getting the job. You have no track record that you can be trusted with money. You have no track record that you should be trusted with the bank's money. And so Jesus doesn't just pay for our sins and become the curse for us to get us to neutral. We need his righteousness in our bank account to stand before a holy God. This process is called imputed righteousness. The theological term is imputed righteousness. We sinned and Jesus did not. He was righteous and we were not. So through faith, Paul is telling us that we get his righteousness and he gets our sinfulness. He takes our curse and we get his blessing. This is all over the New Testament, this double transfer, this double imputation. Uh, one verse that has it all in one little shot is 2 Corinthians 5, 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Listen to this, Paul also writing. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He was sinless, he was perfect, and he was made to be sin. So that in him we might become the right, not neutral, not just forgiven, but the righteousness of God. So Jesus is cursed for our breaking the law, and we get the reward for his following the law. Let me illustrate this with something either terrifying or humorous, depending on where you come from. I saw a story this week uh, about in 2018, a 21-year-old was caught on camera while racing in his Dodge Challenger Hellcat in Wake County, North Carolina. He was on the video going 198 miles an hour in a 40-mile-an-hour zone. He was found guilty of street racing and reckless driving, I hope. All right, do you want to hear the gospel? Do you want to hear the gospel? This is the gospel. Let's say that was you and the officer pulled you over. License and registration. 
Uh, you give it over. The officer says, do you know you were going 198 miles an hour in a 40 mile an hour zone? And you put all the lives of the people in this community at risk. Do you understand what you've done? Yes, I understand. The officer goes back to the police car and then comes back later with two things. And here's what the officer gives you. A driver of the year trophy. And a $10,000 prize for safe driving. It's not possible. It doesn't make any sense. But that is the gospel. If the two problems are all have sinned and all are under the curse, then we need someone to solve both of those problems. Jesus is cursed for our breaking the law, and then we get his righteousness. We get the reward, the blessing for what he has done. Our sins and shame go to him. His reward and blessing and righteousness go to us. And that's why it can't be on our merits that we get right with God. It must be on someone else, a redeemer. Jesus is cursed on a tree for our breaking the law. We get the reward for his following the law. So Jesus has solved both of our problems. We needed a savior and a curse bearer, and he was. Two problems and then two solutions. Well, now we get to receive two gifts. Point number three is two gifts. Look at verse 14. Paul, why is all this happening? Why is this the transaction between Jesus and those who have faith in him? Verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Jesus does it all, he pays it all, he earns it all, he receives the reward for his faithfulness, and he gives that to us. What are the two things we get? We get the blessing and the Spirit. The blessing and the Spirit. And the blessing of Abraham, you know it. He's walking with God. He's talking with God. He has a right standing with God. Justification with the Holy God is the reward of faith. Sola fide, faith alone. Remember verse 6, which we saw last week. Just as Abraham, what did he do? Believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So having our sins forgiven is a blessing. Isn't it a blessing when someone forgives you? Of like a small thing? I'm sorry I got angry. I forgive you. Oh, feels good. Well, in Christ, by faith, you've been forgiven of every sin. Your rebellion against the holy God has been forgiven. That's a blessing. Romans 4.8. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That's the blessed life. So we get the blessing. But more importantly for Paul, and he gets into this as we move along in the letter of Galatians. In fact, this is really important as we look ahead to places like Galatians 5. We receive the Spirit by faith, the Holy Spirit. So faith is the process by which we're saved. But the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, the person of the Godhead who lives inside of us. We receive the Spirit by grace through faith in Christ, and the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives. He enables us to live holy lives. What are the two gifts? The blessing and the Spirit. And here's why Paul keeps saying this. This is really important to understand. The Judaizers, the false teachers who went through Galatia, trying to trip up some of these young, impressionable Christians, here's what they would have said about how we are enabled to do good works. They would have said, you can't be right with God unless you're doing the good works. That's what they would have said. You can't be right with God unless you're doing the works. 
Paul's reply would have been, you can't do the works unless you've been given the new life, unless you've been made right with God. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You can't have the fruit of the Spirit before you get the gift of the Spirit. And so the Judaizers would have said, you can't be right with God until you do the works. But Paul's reply would have been, you can't do the works until you've been made right with God. And that's really what Galatians chapter 5 is all about. We see in there the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the life of faith in the believer. So we've got blessings and we've got the Spirit. Those are the two gifts that we receive. Let's talk about those for a few minutes. What's the greatest blessing? I talked about forgiveness. Uh, We have rebelled against the holy God, and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. On the last day, you will not be condemned for any of your sins if you are in Christ Jesus. That's a blessing. Oh, is that a blessing? Uh, Since there's no condemnation, now we can strive to live holy lives without the fear of tripping up and then being condemned. Do you see how it works? For the Judaizers, well, you're not right with God unless you do all the works of the law. That's a life of fear. What if I slip up? What if I mess up? What if I have one stray thought? I'm, I'm out of sorts with God. That's no way to live. But once the condemnation has been paid for by grace through faith in Christ, then you can strive to live holy lives and grow in the fruit of the Spirit without any fear at all. Even if you slip up, there's no fear. So we can grow by the power of the Spirit in us this week as we receive by faith the blessings and the Spirit. You can flee from all immorality this week. You have been purchased for by Jesus Christ the power to overcome every sin this coming week. It's purchased for you. We can grow in the fruit of the Spirit. If you look ahead, you don't have to, but you might want to move ahead to Galatians 5. What we're talking about today is the foundation for Christian living in Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have to turn there, if you don't want to, or if you don't have time. But in Galatians 5, 19, Paul is saying that since we have received the Spirit by faith, these are the things we can have victory over now. Not of our own strength, not of our own effort, but because of the Holy Spirit in us. Verse 19, Galatians 5, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Friends, you can have victory over sexual immorality this week because the Holy Spirit is in you. You can. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. How about this one? Jealousy. If you've been living a jealous life, if you're envious of what everyone else has, you can have victory this week over envy and jealousy by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, which is a gift Jesus purchased for you. And he gives freely to all who have faith. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In Christ, we have the freedom from condemnation and the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can flee from all those sins. To be free from the slavery that those sins bring. And you know we're not just free from, right? We're not just free from sins. We're not just free from slavery. In Christ, we're free for We're not just free from, we're free for certain things. Going back to the speeding ticket illustration, God just doesn't save us from terrible driving. 
and pay the ticket for us. He teaches us now how to use our car to drive safely. How to take our car and instead of it being uh, entertainment which puts other lives at risk, now we can use our car to give people rides and to love other people in Jesus' name and deliver goods to those in need. We can use our car for something. Instead of for danger and entertainment, it can be used for good and sacrificial service of others. Our car, which used to be a crime scene, is now a place where God builds his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And your heart and your mind, which were crime scenes because of sin, are now the place where God is building his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so you can grow in the fruit of the Spirit and the condemnation is taken away. God does this in us by faith. So in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, what is it? This week you can grow in love by the power of the Holy Spirit. This week you can grow in joy. How many of you need more joy in your life? That's been purchased for you when Jesus became a curse for you on the cross for you. He gave you his joy. You can grow in peace this week. You can grow in patience this week. You can grow in kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and who doesn't need self-control? You can grow in that. It's been purchased for you. Against such things there is no law. And then Paul says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Jesus wasn't the only one on the cross. Our flesh was nailed to the cross, and it died. And we were given new life in Christ Jesus, so that we can grow into that new life without the threat of instant condemnation when we fail. The big theological category for all this, if you want to study it more, is union with Christ. Union with Christ. The blessings that we get by faith are union with Christ. Everything Jesus earned is given to us. Every righteous work Jesus did is credited to us. Everything Jesus paid for is taken off of our record. Everything the Spirit can grow in a person is our gift in Christ Jesus. So this coming week, By grace through faith in Jesus Christ, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts, we can grow this week no matter what happens. It's a gift. This week need not be full of failures. You can grow by faith in whatever area the Lord wants you to grow. So those are the gifts. The blessing and the Spirit. We're almost done. Two problems, two solutions, two gifts. And finally, what are the results in our hearts in light of all of this? What are the results? Well, first... Love for God's law. Love for God's law. What is the result of what we're talking about? Since the curse of the law has been taken away, now what's the result? We can love God's law. We can love God's law. This news changes our relationship to the law. The law brought a curse for all lawbreakers, but Christ sets us free from the curse, and that means we can love God's law. We don't need to be ashamed of God's law. God's law leads to life. God's law brings wholeness and dignity to people. God's laws protect us from harm. And God's laws tell us about his character. When you see his laws, you're like, oh, that's who he is. That's how he cares for the needy. That's how he protects the innocent. That's how he sets up justice in his law. We can learn about him. So studying God's law helps us get to know him better. Instead of being something we're afraid of because it might bring a curse if we fail. So since we're not under curse anymore, God's law is only glorious. So we can say along with the psalmist in Psalm 1, 
Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. We can delight in the law of the Lord. Let me explain something. Isn't it delightful that the law is thou shalt not steal? Isn't it delightful? I want you to try to imagine a world where God's law is not thou shalt not steal. After we sing our final song, it would be a race to the parking lot for the best car. And then my family would always have to call a taxi because someone would take our van. We wouldn't be able to fit in most of your cars to get home. Can you imagine a world where the law of God is not thou shalt not steal? It's a delightful law. God's law is delightful. Isn't it delightful that men are different than women? Isn't that delightful that God made us different? Isn't it beautiful? That's good news. How about this one for the teenagers in the room? It is delightful, teenagers, when you obey your mother and father. It is delightful. And when your mother or father give you instructions and you obey right away without any grumbling or shrugging, you're delighting in God's law for you. You're glorifying Jesus Christ. You're living in the delight of God's law for you. Isn't it delightful that we should love our neighbors? Isn't it delightful that we should forgive our enemies? Isn't it delightful that marriage is between one man and one woman? After the service today, I get to go watch Jesse and Lindsay get married. Isn't that great? Isn't it delightful that God had a design for marriage? Isn't it delightful that you exist because of a process where a man and a woman came together and you used to not be and now you be? Isn't that the most beautiful masterpiece the world has ever seen? It's we should delight in that law. We shouldn't be ashamed of that law. It's delightful that we should not murder. It's delightful that we should give generously. It's delightful that we should pray for one another. One more illustration. We need to delight in God's law. One of God's laws is do not bear false witness in court. Isn't it delightful that you can't lie in court or you shouldn't lie in court? Imagine a courtroom scene that starts out with the judge giving the instructions. If God's law was not in effect, do you swear to tell lies, a bunch of lies, and please throw in some stuff that you made up out of thin air? So help you, God. All right, let's let the trial begin. Isn't it delightful that thou shalt not bear false witness in court? Isn't it delight? God's laws are delightful. It's delightful that we should mourn with those who mourn. Some of you are going to do that after the service. You're going to hear from a brother or sister, and they're in mourning. They're suffering right now, and you're going to mourn with them, and you're going to pray with them. And it's delightful that we should rejoice with those who rejoice. It's delightful. It's delightful. It's delightful. God's law is delightful once the curse is gone. Psalm 119.18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. There's wondrous things in God's law. And Psalm 119.97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Since we're free from the curse of the law, we can delight in God's law. That's the first result, love for God's law. And the second result, very briefly, is all glory be to Christ for this news. All glory be to Christ for this news. Everyone who's hung on a tree, it's a curse in Jewish law. You got to take the body down before sundown because it's too much of a shame for a 
capital crime sinner to be displayed for even 24 hours. What happened to Jesus? He took our sins on him. But he also took the curse for the law breakers so that in him we could be set free from the curse of the law and be given the blessings of Abraham, even us Gentiles, and be given the Holy Spirit so that we can live holy lives, not to earn our place with God, but because Christ has earned our place with God. He took the curse for us. Your heart should leap when you're reminded that he was your redeemer, that you are now blessed, that you have the Holy Spirit. There's no condemnation anymore for you, and you can have victory over sin this week by the power, not of you, but of the Holy Spirit in you by grace through faith. So result number two is all glory be to Christ. The law of God is awful news for lawbreakers because in it we're all condemned. But if you have a redeemer, if you're trusting in Christ, not yourself, you have a redeemer and you've been set free from the penalty for your sins and the curse of the law. And so when you go about your way and you hear that song, The Old Rugged Cross, you'll know what it means when it uses that word shame. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. But what does it do for the heart of the redeemed? I love that old cross. Where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Let's pray. Lord, the cross is terrifying to think about. People were tortured and executed on Roman crosses. And as your law said, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And we see the cross and know that we have sinned. We have been under the curse because of our sins. But Jesus climbed on the cross of his own will and obedience to you and died in our place and took the shame so that we could be set free from the curse so that we could be given the blessings of Abraham and the Holy Spirit, so that this week, instead of failure and curse, we could have blessing and life and victory by the power of your Holy Spirit. So give your people victory this week, because Jesus purchased that for us. Help us grow in faith, and lead holy lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us receive those gifts from you this week for our good and for your glory. Help us glory in our Redeemer. In his name we pray. Amen. Please stand.